Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. That's good. Isn't a piano a marvelous instrument? I mean, if you think about it, I I haven't studied who created the piano, but it is masterful in the way it was built and in what it can do. And you put it, you put it underneath somebody who knows how to play it. Besides, that was chopsticks. In case you couldn't tell, how many of you do know chopsticks? Right? You can play it, and that's the only song you got to play with two hands, one finger on each hand. Unless you did octaves, and then it would be even better. But thank you, Beth. All righty, we're going to do number two. To, um, uh, the second in the series today. Of what I started last week, and it was intending to do just one day. Obviously, I only got through the first point. So open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 15. We're going to start where we started last week, but we're going to rush through it just as a reminder, and, I, and I'm certain that you don't need a reminder, but just, just for my own peace of mind, let me just give you a really quick reminder of where we started, and then we'll continue. We're talking about what does our church want from us? What, is it, what does it mean to be a part of the body? What is, what is the expectation? A lot of different adjectives or, or verbs you could use in this, but um, the real question is, how, do, how are you committed? How do you know that you're committed? How do you know you're doing well? How do, you, how do you produce fruit? So in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Verse 5, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This is to my fa- Father's glory. Um, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So it's God's desire that we bear much fruit. Now, I haven't talked a lot about fruit. And to be honest with you, that's not the, whole, that's not the point. It is the point, or, or rather it's the result. It's what happens if we are rooted But at the end of the day, we don't really have to worry about the fruit. The fruit is automatic. It's guaranteed. Jesus made a promise. If you remain in me, and if I remain in you, you will. Not you might, not you could, not you should, but you will bear much fruit. And not just fruit, but mucho fruit. Lots of fruit. Now, what is the fruit? The fruit is, is um, it, it's because there's much fruit, it, it would take days and days and days perhaps to explain it all. But some of what you'll see is you'll see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many of you just would like one of those, right? I mean, just take your pick. Any one of those will radically change your life and everybody around you. But here's the deal. The fruit of the Spirit is not plural. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you have all of the fruit. But the more in tune you are with God, which means the more yielding you are to His Spirit, the more of the fruit that is displayed in your life. So if you want to have much joy, 
be much controlled by the Spirit. To be much controlled by the Spirit means you are less controlled by you. How do you stay less controlled by you and more controlled by the Spirit? You remain in Him. So to remain in Christ Jesus is to root yourself in Him. So how do we root ourselves in Him? Well, it's very simple. In, on the front of your worship guide, there's a drawing made by not a three-year-old, but none others than yours truly. It just looks like a three-year-old drew it. That was, that was intentional. That's what we'll tell people, right? The first thing that you do is you join together in worship. Now, as I said last week, there's, this, there's been a move away from corporate worship, and it is a, a, a bad move to be unfaithful to, the, to, the, to, the, to corporate worship is not moving you closer to Christ. It's moving you away from him. Here's why. Because Christianity has never been, it never will be, because God didn't design it to be a solo sport. There are some sports that are solo sports. Boxing is a solo sport. There's only one person in the ring, but even then it's not a solo sport because they have trainers. Rookie, right? I mean, they've, they've, got, they've got people who, who uh, uh, fix you and they've got people who do the medical stuff. So it, it's more than just one person. When it comes to the body of Christ, listen to the words that, that, were, that, that, that are used to describe us. We are a body. We're a family. We are a people, right? It's never singular. And I believe God did it that way for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, number one, he knew that we could not handle being alone. I think he knew that if he gave any one of us everything we needed for our faith, all included in ourselves, we would quickly become like Lucifer did and go, well, I don't need anybody, not even you, God. I mean, think about this. You remember Paul when he says, look, I've been given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Why? To remind me that his strength is made perfect in my own weakness. The very nature of a body is that we need each other. I want you to think about this. If we don't collectively join together, we are not only robbing ourselves of what we need from others, we're also robbing others from what we need for ourselves. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that coming to church is all there is. And coming to church, which is a misnomer in itself, right? Because you can't come to a people. You can come gather with the church, but the church is not a place or a building. It's a people. But if, if you just come and you don't engage, then you're really just coming and you're again shortchanging the whole process. It's not just about coming, sitting, listening, and going. It's about coming and rubbing shoulders and, and, and being a part of each other's lives. And so the very first thing we want to do to root is as simple as you could possibly get. Just show up. Just show up. And when you show up, show up expecting to give and to receive of yourself. So the second way we root is a little bit deeper. Now, I asked several people this question. What does it take to really be a part of a church? Or, or what, does it, what does it take to keep you at a church? And without exception, what they said was an amazing preacher. No, that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> not true. <laughs> I, that was what I said in my head. That's not really what was said. What was not said was 
phenomenal music. Preacher and music weren't even a part of the conversation. Are they important? Absolutely. You don't want to come and listen to a bore, and you don't want to come and, 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 and be, be just, you know, uh, unimpressed at all with me. I mean, you, you want something to, of substance and content to be there. That's a necessity, but that's not what keeps you at a church. What keeps you at a church? Say it out loud. The people, relationships, that right. That, that, that right. That's right. So where do you build relationships? Well, let's think about this. When we worship together on Sunday morning, we're not looking at each other. Y'all are looking at me and I'm looking at you. Now, there is an element of relationship. We used to do this when we had that three-minute greet your neighbor kind of thing. We stopped doing that, by the way, for two reasons. One, it was practical. There just wasn't enough time to do it and do everything else that we wanted to do in a service. But number two, we like that. Total strangers, new people, really don't like that. Especially, we did it, we did it weird. We said, okay, if you're a guest, if you're brand new here and know nobody, please stand up. I was kind of, I mean, we had good intentions, but that really was. So then we said, well, let's do it. Let's not embarrass them. So let's let them stay seated and everybody else stand up. That's, that's just kind of a reverse negative, and that, that's still, I mean, you might, as well, you might as well put a label on their, their shirt that says visitor. Oh, we did that too, right? This is not the place for relationship necessarily, although there is some of that. But I'll bet you, I'll bet you I could close my eyes and tell you where you're going to sit next week. <laughs> Guess how I know? Because you've sat there for the last 15 years. That's okay. Creature's a habit. That's fine. Where you, inve- where you engage in relationship, though, is in the smaller group. Now, this is where it gets somewhat difficult to talk about because with, with uh, different generations, it, it's called different things. Now, to be fair, you have gone through changes as well, right? I mean, you used to have Sunday school, then you had Bible study. You used to have training union, then you had discipleship training, and then you had another name that I can't even remember of it, right? So we changed the names, but the concept is basically the same. Sunday school, discipleship training, training union, uh, uh, small group, home group, all of those simply mean you're gathering together in a smaller group of people where you can do what we'll call life on life. It's where you get to know somebody's name and where you learn to love them. Here's what I've learned from you, church. I have learned that you guys know each other's quirks and craziness, and you still love each other regardless. That is that true? That's pretty amazing. Because I've I've watched from a distance as 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 you've interacted, and I've seen that that you know that some people are going to react some ways and other people are going to react other ways and, and you just kind of just let them go on and then you jump back in the game, right? Does that make sense? It made perfect sense in my head. You, there's, a, there's a certain kind of tolerance for each other. It's the same kind of relationship you would have in a marriage or in a family. You just know that that crazy uncle, if you get him talking about a certain topic, he's going to go a little cuckoo. That's okay. He's still your uncle, right? Here's the deal. Jesus had a small group. It's not that he loved them more than anybody else. It's just that he planted his life in the midst of a group of people. 
And he said, I'm going to pour my life into yours. And I'm asking you to pour your life into me. Because listen, it was, it, was, it was both ways. Don't you believe that when Jesus was on the cross, he needed some, some uh, I mean, from his human perspective, having a relationship was important to him? Don't you think that when he was, was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he came back and said, well, you can't even stay awake from me? I mean, don't you think there was some, some need for relationship? Now, again, from, from his humanity, there was a need, not from his, his divinity. But that relationship comes through small group interaction. So I'm preaching to the choir for the most part on this one, and literally preaching to the choir because that is a small group. Most of you will go into a Bible study, and that will be a small group. On, on Thursdays, there is a small group. You happen to come to my house on Thursday. Thank you. That was so fun. Plus, it gave me a chance to clean my house and use my grill for the first time in a bunch of, year, a bunch of months. So it was a good, worked all the way around. Um, but engaging in that small group is where you learn to truly love each other. So again, I'm preaching the choir to you on that one. But I want to remind you that it's in the small group that God gives us the opportunity to most meet each other's needs. In uh, Acts chapter 2, we can just go there very quickly. In Acts chapter 2, the church is on the verge of a breakout. Or I say on the verge. They, they had just broken out. And they had just uh, increased in number. Verse, uh, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 40. With many other words, they warned, uh, he warned him, and he pleaded with him, Save yourselves from the corrupt generation. In verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I want you to think of the logistics of this. 3,000 new believers baptized in one day. How long do you think it would take to baptize 3,000 new believers? That would be a that, that would not be one person doing the baptizing. That would be now grasp three thousand people. The city of Gulf Breeze proper has about six thousand or so residents. So half. So let's say it this way: from ninety eight all the way down to the water, and from the water to the water, everybody in this section were baptized in one day. That's a lot of people. Talk about church growth. By the way, what was their church growth strategy? It wasn't music. It wasn't a phenomenal show. It wasn't activities at the church. It wasn't what they offered the crowd. They preached Christ Jesus crucified, buried, and risen again. That was everything that they preached. They preached the gospel in its most simplest form. And the gospel was powerful because of two things. One, because the Holy Spirit was in the gospel preaching. God's Spirit was moving mightily. So it wasn't, they, it wasn't them who were doing it. It was God who was doing it through them. So there was life to their words because God was speaking through them. But the second thing I believe is this. There was a radical love that they had for one another. 
Jesus said it this way, the world will know you're my disciples by the shirt you wear. No. Jesus will know you're my disciples by how many times you go to church. No. He will know you're my disciples by what? By your love one for another. The people of God loved each other so intently, so closely, so wonderfully that the rest of the city looked and they said, we can't get this anywhere else. There is a radical, massive, undeniable love that they have for each other and even for their enemies. Listen, if we ever want to win our world or our country or our neighbors or our family for Christ Jesus, it cannot be by us being mean or us being defensive. It has to be by the way we love each other. Amen? By the way, can I mention to you that they loved each other with that kind of love because they were with each other. Now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42... You've heard this a hundred thousand times. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right there you have the first and the second root. They met together in the temple courts. Now, they did, they did this daily, but of course, that was their culture. Our culture is a little different. We actually have jobs that, we, that require us to go and work and then come home. And so, so it, it, it's, not a, it's not that we do exactly what was done in the details. What we do is we model what they, we, we do what they did based on the intent or the purpose or based on the, uh, let's call it a precept, right? They worshiped together in the temple courts. That was a public worship. And that was also a place where the religious people would come anyways. And so they were out amongst people who needed to hear the gospel. But they also were together in their homes. Now listen. How many people were believers in Jerusalem on that day? How many new believers? 3,000, right? So how many believers were there before the 3,000? 800? 1,000? We don't really know, but there, was a, there were at least... There were at least close to a thousand based on the number of people that saw Jesus had risen from the dead. Right. And we know that the women and we know that that the disciples. So so it's safe to let's just say 800 or a thousand. So at this moment in Acts chapter two, you have at least four thousand people as part of the church at Jerusalem. Now, the whole city wasn't massive. I mean, the city wasn't a million people. It wasn't that big. So you have a, a, a large portion of this city that is, is coming to faith in Christ Jesus. So where did they meet? Well, they met in the temple courts. Could you imagine that? But then they also met in their homes. Which one of you has a home big enough for 4,000 people? No? Why do you suppose they met in homes? Because it was very, very practical. And it was very, very personal. Your home is the most personal place you could possibly find. Would you agree with that? 
There's nothing else like your home. It's, it's your castle. It's, it's your, your inner circle, if you will. When you open your home and you have people come in, it is an act of love. Church, I want to say to you that the way we root should be the way that the early church rooted. They rooted by, by worshiping together in the temple, but they also, also worshiped together and did life together in the homes. And look at what they did. They had fried chicken. It says they broke bread. Everybody knows that you bread chicken before you fry it. Therefore, it's a perfect, perfect transition in my book. They broke bread. They prayed. They devoted themselves to the teaching, to fellowship. By the word, that fellowship there is koinonia. It's more than just, hey, how you doing? It's we're going to know each other. This is where I think we lose people. That step between being a face in a crowd and being known is tough. It's tough on both ends. It's tough for the group who's already together because let's face it, once we have a group of a certain size, it's hard to let somebody in because they're going to they're gonna kind of mess up the flow because you can only really be close with a certain number of people. That's just psychology that, that, or sociology. That's just the way it is. But when somebody else wants to come in, we say, you know what? We're going to let you in because you need our love and we need yours. The way that the early church did it was they had multiple homes and they met together in multiple homes. Now, again, the way people are wired, it makes it difficult because there can be because uh, people who are like each other tend to group together. So you wind up having one group of all personality and then one group of of maybe maybe less uh, bombastic personality. And so this group over here is known as the click. You all know what I'm talking about, right? And then this group over here, they're they're kind of. Listen, that's just part of being human. That's what we have to work on. But that should not keep us from engaging on a personal level with each other. So here's the word to you. Engage yourself, if you haven't already, in some sort of a small group relationship. To where you are vulnerable to them and they are vulnerable to you. It's a process. You have to intentionally do it. But that is where you find The true life on life. When you are in the hospital, those are the people that will be there first. Those are the people that will come and change your bedpan for you. Yeah, put that picture in your mind. But how many of you know it's true? The people you're doing life on life with are the people who will go to the wall with you. Now, everybody in the room would. But everybody in the room is going to be later to the party. It's the people you're closest with that will be there. So here's the third way to root. Y'all with me so far? The third way to root is modeled after what Jesus did. In your worship guide, the live and share verse, Luke 5, 16. Did y'all read that earlier? My daughter was having another allergic reaction this morning. And so when she came in, we took her aside and prayed for her. So I was a little bit late coming in. So Luke 5, 16 says this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That to me, has, that verse has always puzzled me. You're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. If anybody didn't need to get alone with God, it would have been God in the flesh. 
And yet I believe Jesus did it for two reasons. Number one, I believe he wanted to model for us as by saying, if I need it, you need it. And number two, I think he enjoyed his relationship with his father so that he wanted time with his father. I believe that he wanted time with his father that was uninterrupted. That was just conversation. It was, it was communion between his father and him. And so if it was good enough for Jesus, folks, it's good enough for us. The rooting is not just Sunday morning and it's not just small group, but it's rooting daily. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, well, how can his words remain in you if you're only having his words once or twice a week? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a shame that, that sometimes people leave a church because the church is not feeding them. Which, I guess sometimes that's true, but more often than not, what's really going on is there's a, there's a, a critical nature or a critical spirit or there's a, a lack of relationship personally that's flowing, that, that's being blamed on the church. Again, that's not always the case. But at the end of the day, I've, I've learned amazing things about God from horrible preachers. I'm talking about uh, the delivery, right? Have you not learned some things from guys who really couldn't preach their way out of, out of a paper bag? Yeah, why? Because the power is in the Word of God, not in the delivery. The delivery just makes it more palatable, makes it, makes it easier to hear. But at the end of the day, the hungry heart can learn Everywhere they go, they can see the traces of God. They can hear his voice wherever they go. And the heart that is hungry is because that there has been a, an intentional searching after the Father on a personal level. Now, we've taught it to teenagers for years and years and years that we're to have a quiet time. My, my mind has changed about quiet time over the last several years. It used to be very regimented and very rigid and very, there was a lot of guilt involved with it. Y'all know what I mean? If, if I didn't spend X amount of time and if I didn't follow this pattern, then I, I'm not sure that God accepted that day. But what I realized is I don't want that kind of relationship for my children. There are some days that my kids and I pass each other in the dark, like literally pass each other. Like Sarah's done, just, just finished a dance recital. She, yesterday, all day, they danced three recitals, and then today, one recital. And she's been rehearsing every week for the last several months, and then the last week, they had all the dress rehearsals, and so I didn't, I didn't even recognize her anymore. I mean, she, she was sleeping at my house, and I was noticing food was disappearing from the fridge, but other than that, I, I didn't really see her face. But does that mean we're not in relationship? No, it means that it was a very busy time. But here's the thing. We intentionally reconnect as father-daughter. Because even though there's a period of time where we're not spending lots of time together, we know that we've got to come back and connect again. Same thing with your wife or your husband or, or, or whoever your, uh, uh, the person that you would connect with on earth would be. It's the same thing we do with God. Notice what the scripture says. Jesus withdrew often to lonely places to pray. That word often is important. 
He didn't, he, it doesn't say he withdrew daily. And I've found that the Bible's very specific, isn't it? Words are not just haphazardly thrown in there. There were days, I'm sure, where Jesus didn't get alone by himself. How could he? But even though he didn't get alone by himself, he still recognized that he had a level at which he goes, you know what, it's time for me to get away. And that's what I'm preaching to you today. Rather than a regimented, uh, 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 legalistic platform of, oh, i got to have a quiet time today, rooting is saying, God, you are a priority. And as often as I can, which for most of us, honestly, every day is not a problem, right? You, you, hear what I'm, you hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't spend quality time every day with him. But I'm saying also don't let the enemy guilt you because today you were... A week ago, I literally spent, and I'm not, I'm not joking, 18 hours working in my attic. I promise you, I did not have a quiet time that day. And I felt no guilt about it at all. I just wanted to live. I just wanted to breathe. But you know what? The next day, I said, okay, I've got I've to step back. I worked too hard yesterday. Today, I've got to spend some time. So it's not this legalistic quiet time. It's this recognition that Jesus withdrew to a lonely place to pray. We've got to withdraw regularly, often, and spend time with our Father. Now, what do you do? Well, you know this, but let me just remind you. You spend time listening to God through His Word, and you spend time conversing with God through prayer. I'm convinced, though, the older I get, that prayer is less about what I say and more about me listening. But listening is not just reading the word, because if I'm just reading the word, I'm listening, but I'm also not leaving room for some stillness. Does that make sense? So I, while reading God's word is part of the process, there's also a part at which I just, I just say, Lord, I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. You can do that wherever you want. You can do it on your lawnmower. For me, my riding lawnmower, when it worked, was the best place to do it. Because you had, you had the that drowned it out. My riding lawnmower met my young son, and I no longer have a riding lawnmower that works. I don't know how that works, but it, it does, right? Something happened the other day, and I'm trying to remember, but, but pressure washer. Oh, yeah. My son made a lot of money this, so far in the last couple of weeks, pressure washing people's houses. Guess what I don't have now? My pressure, he came on, he said, Dad, uh, something's wrong with the pressure washer. I think it needs oil. <laughs> okay, well, bring it home. We'll look at it. He brings it home. Oil has exploded all over the pressure washer, and the side of the engine has a hole in it. Sure does need oil. <laughs> and, you know, I just smiled because it's a pressure washer, Right? If I were a good dad, I'd say, all right, hand over all the money you just made, and let's buy a new pressure washer. <laughs> I don't have the heart to do that. I just don't. <laughs> He'll fix it, but do you get alone with God? Do you just, just get alone? And, and I keep talking about the regiment because I, I feel like we are so accustomed to a pattern, and we like patterns, and we like to be able to check boxes, but it's so much more than that. It's just slipping away. Maybe it's to your back porch. Maybe it's to a closet. 
You know, you, the, the idea of a prayer closet is a good idea. If you have an empty house, take one of your rooms and just clear it out and just let that be your holy space where you meet with God. God wants to speak with you. He wants to impress upon your heart his own heart. He wants to transform you. He does that when we're together in a large group. He does that when we're together in a small group. But there is no substitute for you dining and feasting on God's word just between you and him. It also happens that in my life, sitting in a tree in the middle of the woods is where I hear from God. Now, I know what you're saying. That's just an excuse to go to the woods, but it's really not. If you knew the way my brain worked, you would, it would make perfect sense. When I'm in the woods in a tree, the whole world disappears, and I've heard more from God in nature than I have ever heard in my office. I hear him sometimes in my office, but I'm also hearing doors creak and computers ding and phones. See what I'm saying? Find your space and pursue God quietly and intimately. And so you see the tree on the front, right? Those are the three roots. Those are the three asks. The way you and I root if we want to bear fruit is by that. That is the most biblical rooting we can be. Now look, you notice I didn't talk about theology. You notice I didn't talk about, about, um, uh, about really in-depth stuff. That's not to say that's not important. It absolutely is. If you know me, you, you know that, that I'll, I'll defend the Bible all the way to the end. It, 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 the Bible is God's word, but, but we're not, we're not going to... We don't have to argue that point because that's a given for us. For us, it's just a matter of going, okay, what's the simple starting point? And again, this is kind of like preaching the choir because you do show up. Your faithfulness in showing up every single Sunday is what, what encourages me so much. I mean, I could do something really stupid and most of y'all would go, well, we're still here. I mean, you've demonstrated that. You're still here, right? I don't like that laugh. That, that was too telling. But you know what keeps you here? Each other. It's each other. It's the relationship that you've built over the years. And it's that personal walk with Christ. So you notice there's a tree. It roots deep. And then the trunk of that tree grows tall. And then on the bottom of the tree, there are some branches. Now, I'm no arborist, but I know that trees have, have some really main branches. And everything comes off of those main branches. When it comes to our faith, there are two branches that, that are kind of main life-giving branches. And here's what they are. Giving and serving. Giving and serving. Now, I don't need to convince you of this. Again, I know it's like preaching the choir. But we give not only for our own health, but also for the health of the body of Christ. 
2 Corinthians 9 says that we should, each person should give what God has led us to, what we have decided in our heart to give. We should give cheerfully without, um, without any type of, of, of guilt or without any type of compulsion. And so our giving is us giving the most important thing in our life. Now, folks, I heard a statement this week that just rocked me to the core. It was powerful. A guy said, listen, if you want to get to a man or what did he say? I had it, and then I just lost it. He said, um, the way to rattle a man's heart, or the way to get his attention, is to get into his wallet. Process that. Is that true? The way to get a man's attention is to get into his wallet. Is that true? Now, I suppose it's the same thing for women, too. But he was saying within this context of, of, of a man. And as I thought about that, I was in, a, I was in an electrical outlet, an electrical store. And I was, I was walking out. I was going, you know, that's, that's really true. That's really true. You hit him in the pocket, and that will get his attention. And what we were talking about, I think, was my son blowing up my pressure washer, consequently. And I thought, you know, until it hurts... He may not stop and say, is this right? Is this good? At the end of the day, it's the same truth in our hearts when it comes to our possessions. Because here's the thing. Everything we own belongs to God. What we do with what we own says a lot about what we love. I don't need to convince you of this. Because I know that you believe this. I've seen this. I simply want to remind you that your faithful giving, and I'm not talking about giving time, that's the other branch, but when it comes to giving money, you don't believe in something if you're not giving money to it. Is that true or not? If you say you believe in it, and money is not part of it, you probably don't believe in it as much as you say you do. Why? Because it's hard to let go of the, of the dollar, right? But here's what I've found. I've found that the more generous I am, the more God says, you now have room in your hands for me to provide more. I have to tell you, I am not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel preacher. You know that about me. You know that. But the Bible is very clear. In Malachi, he says, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me now in this and see if I do not open the floodgates of heaven and you will not even have room enough to receive it. The reason that I talk about giving so much, and it's really not a ton, but I, I, I do talk about it a lot more than I used to, is because I finally realized that one of the stopping points, one of the clogs in believers' lives in today's world is that we are holding on to our, our, our money and our stuff so tightly and we're robbing God of His opportunity to bless us. I don't give so that I can be blessed. I give because I love Jesus and I believe in what I'm giving to. But because I've given, God says, you've been faithful with a little, I'm going to give you more. And I'll tell you something. I don't care about the more. I really don't. Strip me and make me poor. Take my house. If you want to do that, that's fine. I'm going to serve Jesus either way. But I have to tell you, the more God gives me, the more I have a question. God, what more can I give? And it, you know what I'm talking about? It's this cycle over and over and over. 
I got a card today in the mail. Or it was on my, it was on my door. And, and, and there was no return address. Now that always kind of scares me. Always kind of makes you wonder. But I opened it up. And it was a Visa gift card. And I, and I looked for, and I, and I tried to match handwriting. And I go, you know what? God, thank you. And it was, it was a simple card that said, you are appreciated. And, and my first thought, my first thought was, Lord, who needs some of this? Because I felt so blessed that I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to pass it on somehow. And then the Lord reminded me, your kids are going to need this for the trip. But, but the truth is, it's going to be used wherever God says to use it. So giving, you're not commanded in the New Testament to tithe. Just not there. You are commanded to give. The reason I think that the tithe was moved out, by the way, Jesus never said don't tithe. He simply didn't give us the direct command to tithe. He said, give according to what God has led you to give, which to me, that means he lifted the cap off of it. And he said, be wildly generous with my people. By the way, Acts chapter two, that's what they did. Nobody had need. They sold possessions, they gave to one another because they saw that God was on the move. And it was a good thing. So we give out of love and out of obedience, but there's also a, a back, back door, if you will, that God keeps filling and filling and filling. I can't tell you in the last six months how many conversations I've had with people who have started to be faithful in giving and their answer is always the same. I wish I would have realized this years ago. Now, church, how many of you know this to be true? It's true, isn't it? My wife and I say, you could not convince us not to tithe. If you said, nope, you can't do it anymore, we'd find another way. My daughter, Hannah, has the gift of giving. And she also has the gift of receiving. It's wild. Guys, listen, I'm not... I'm not telling you this to get you to do something for us or for me. I'm telling you this because it's a biblical truth. And if you, if you haven't gotten to that point in your walk with Christ, you have closed the door and put a stopper in what God wants to do in your life. So the second part is the serving. And I, I'm out of time, so let me finish. The serving part is the giving of yourself. Every one of us has a gift. We've been given something by God that the rest of us need. And the Bible tells us that the hand shouldn't say to the eye, hey, I'm not as important as you or, or vice versa. No, the whole body should say all of us are important. But if we don't serve the way God has blessed us to serve, we're not only robbing ourselves, but we're also robbing the body. Here's the truth. There's a sea in Israel called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is dead. There is nothing alive in it. In fact, the Dead Sea will kill you if you drink the water. You want to know why? Because the salinity level, I can't remember the exact number, but it's 17 to 30%. It's this crazy amount of salinity. Why? Because there's no outflow. 
The Dead Sea above it is the Jordan River. It's where you baptize. It's, 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 it's this amazing place. But it flows down and it enters into this, uh, uh, this lake. It's a giant lake is what it is. And when it gets there, it stagnates. It stops. There's no outlet for it. And therefore, it's become a, a body of death. If you go to Israel, you go into the Red Sea, you can lay there, you can read the newspaper, you can stick your feet up, and you float. It's so, it, the salinity is, I've told you this before, I think, but me and a buddy of mine, Kenny Craig, our, our, we went over there one time, and it was late at night, we decided, hey, let's go swim in the, Red, in the Dead Sea. Not the Red Sea, the Dead Sea. And so we got out, we were doing the backstroke, and we were, we were just swimming along, and then we realized, you know... We might want to look where we are because Jordan's on the other side. and we, we might be crossing some international line or something. that we, So we swam all the way back. You got to have an outlet. So root and fruit. If you will do that, the Bible says what? You will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. So church, here's the really cool thing. I used to think that you had to create opportunities to share the gospel. I don't think that anymore. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, all you have to do is have eyes that are wide open. When you root, God will make you fruit. Do you remember several years ago? I asked, the, I asked the church to pray for me because I was going to have a group of teenagers to my house, some band friends of my daughter's. I don't know if you remember that. Some of you all might. But it was a simple prayer request. Hey, my daughter wanted me to have... Uh, she had some friends who were not believers and she wanted them to come over to our house so we could just talk about the existence of God. And so they came over. We ordered some pizza. We sat on my couch and we just talked about God and His existence and His love and just really got to share the gospel. So we finished our pizza and we left. And I thought to myself, man, that was really fun. We didn't see anybody pray to receive Christ. We didn't see any spiritual movement. It was just a time where they came over, they, we talked, and they left. Well, Shannon got a Christmas present six months ago to get her, to- her toenails done. She doesn't do that very often, but somebody gave her a gift card or something to do it. And so the last day to use it was this past Wednesday. So she said, I better use this. So she went to the nail place and she went right in and sat down. And there was a woman sitting next to her. And they recognized each other from band. So they started talking back and forth. And as they were talking, the woman said to Shannon, my son is now a believer because of you. She go, huh? She go, yeah. Several years ago, your daughter invited my son and some other students to your house to have pizza and to talk about God. He was an atheist. But that day, it sparked something in him. And that has grown because he went into the Marines. And while he was, when when he went into the Marines, he became a believer in Jesus. And it started in your living room. And And Shannon was just, She actually called me on her way home. She said, Jeff, do you remember this? And I go, kind of vaguely. Yeah, I think so. 
And then we talked about it later and we started putting the pieces together. Here's the point. That wasn't an intentional... That we, we didn't have to try. All, all we did was it was an opportunity to have a conversation. From all, all accounts, all I did was buy pizza and my daughter and I talked about Jesus. That's it. Years later, the fruit that came out of that was salvation for a young man who did not believe God existed. I tell you that story to tell you this. You don't have to try so hard. You simply have to connect to the, to the vine. If you connect to the vine, God will swarm people in and out of your life. You may never see the full results, but you will bear much fruit. Oh, and by the way, you bring God much glory by doing so. Amen? Amen. Whew, so I got through it all. You know, it's, it's kind of, uh, this message is hard for you because I know that so much of it is so basic. But if you talk about the legendary Alabama football coach, Nick Saban, he will tell you they don't win football games because they're fancy. They win football games and they do win football games. For the Auburn people in here, just remind, give her a moment to settle in. <laughs> they win football games because they stick to the basics. They stick to the basics. We don't need to be so fancy, folks. Just do the basics. We'll bear much fruit. Amen? Father in heaven, we worship you today. We are grateful for your, your love for us. Father, we're grateful that you are so kind. Father, I ask that you would move us towards you. God, I pray that you would give us hope that the fruit of the Spirit would, would flourish in our life. Father, I pray that you would give us a new vision for where you have us in life. Lord, whether it's uh, in, in a new home or whether it's in a new uh, a, a new club for this community or wherever it might be. Father, help us to open up our eyes and see where you are already at work in our life. And Father, encourage us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name. Church Gold Breeze at FBC Gold Breeze dot